Hi, this is Open Source Futures and I'm Penny Chu, where I go through current developments through the lens of long-term trends and futures thinking. So this is a bonus episode because I'm very excited to share with you my thoughts on a recently published Global Trends Report. So the Global Trends Report is something that the National Intelligence Council, uh, a think tank of the intelligence community in the United States, so they do this, this NIC, they do this report every four years, and they advise incoming administrations about the trends that they see in the world and how the U.S. might be affected by it indirectly. And this uh, creates a conversation for policy recommendations, uh, maybe with the National Security Council, the Defense Department, and with the State Department and so forth. So this bunch of people over at the NIC, they talk to a lot of people, they talk to a lot of experts within the United States, and they talk to uh, uh, friends and allies across the world. So it's not just an allied kind of enterprise. I think they go to you know non-obvious countries and talk about the trends that they see. So this is a very interesting project. I discovered it uh, back in 2000. <clears throat> this must be about 2004 or five where I discovered uh, or well, 2004, when I, when I discovered the first global, my first global trends, um, but that was talking about 2020, and then I went back and realized that they had done it before in 1995 and so forth. So uh, every four years, I look forward to this, and uh, this edition's one got a little bit delayed. I wonder why, no surprises. Um, no prizes for guessing anyway. Uh, so it's really interesting to see the scenarios that come out of this and to see the format of the report. So for this year, there were a few very interesting things. If you look past, uh, they look at uh, look at the past editions of the report, you see that they tend to generally have four scenarios, and they're quite clear about their estimates, or they're quite clear about uh, what they're thinking about and what their assumptions are. Um, in the previous edition, so this was a 2016 edition, they had created three scenarios, um, and then they had um, a series of very rigorous regional uh, forecast for the next five years. So the scenarios in the past edition were a bit disappointing because they were in the generic um, level of organization when it comes to the international order. So they had, I think it was something like orbits, uh, communities, and islands. So um, I felt that that was, uh, I felt that 2016 edition was a bit too simplistic. And, uh, and this year, so seeing the products this year has been really, really surprising. It's surprising in the sense that they departed from the three or four scenario framework and now they have five. Um, they have five scenarios and then in, within your regional forecast, they're not just looking at economics or population or governance as they did in the 2016 edition. They also uh, had a much stronger focus on climate. So looking out in the 20 horizon towards 2040, and which is the title of the report, um, they are, we are beginning to see a much clearer focus by the American government. So, and I think this will be regardless of administration about the impact of climate change on the geopolitical system. There are other unsaid assumptions as well, or uh, said assumptions. And um, ever since the 2025 edition of the report, I think, they have had a stronger element of what the American role in the world would be. So if you had read the 2004 or the 2008 edition, it was more or less uh, taken for granted that the uh, American leadership would be here to stay um, for a longer while. But 
ever since the 2012 edition, which talks about 2030 and onwards, there has been a much uh, larger element about the variability of American leadership. So in the sense of what if um, American administrations stopped trying to organize the world, trying to organize the global agenda. And I think the, the Trump administration was in a sense a kind of preview about what what if America behaved just like any other a regular, a regular large country, a regular large country in quotes in a sense of nakedly pursuing its own interests without regard for relationships and without regard for global institutions. So that has been really interesting. Uh, we, and, uh, and this year we have five scenarios, I think, to incorporate some of the complexity. So the five scenarios are uh, renaissance of democracies, a world adrift, so that's two, competitive coexistence, the third one, separate silos, the fourth one, and tragedy and mobilization. So I'm just going to quickly read out each of these. So for Renaissance of Democracies, it goes, the world is in the midst of a resurgence of open democracies led by the United States and its allies. Rapid technological advancements fostered by public-private partnerships in the US and other democratic societies are transforming the global economy, raising incomes and improving the quality of life for millions around the globe. In contrast, years of increasing societal controls and monitoring in China and Russia have stifled innovation. Okay, so that was Renaissance of Demo Democracies. A world adrift. So a world adrift goes, the, inter the international system is directionless, chaotic and volatile as international rules and institutions are largely ignored. OECD countries are plagued by slower economic growth, widening societal divisions and political paralysis. China is taking advantage of the West's troubles to expand its international influence. Many global challenges are unaddressed. The third one is competitive coexistence, and it goes like this. The United States and China have prioritized economic growth and restored a robust trading relationship, but this economic interdependence exists alongside competition over political influence, governance models, technological dominance, and strategic advantage. The risk of major war is low and international cooperation and technological innovation and uh, make global problems manageable. So that's the third one. And the fourth one is separate silos. The world is fragmented into several economic and security blocks of varying size and strength, centered on the United States, China, the EU, Russia, and a few regional powers, and focused on self-sufficiency, resiliency, and defense. Information flows within separate cyber-sovereign enclaves, supply chains are reoriented, and international trade is disrupted. Vulnerable developing countries are caught in the middle. And the last one is called Tragedy and Mobilization. A global coalition led by the EU and China working with NGOs and revitalized multilateral institutions is implementing far-reaching changes designed to address climate change, resource depletion and poverty following a global food catastrophe caused by climate events and environmental degradation. Richer countries shift to help poorer ones manage the crisis and then transition to low-carbon economies through broad aid programs and transfers of advanced energy technologies. Okay, so these five scenarios are really quite different, and they are different, and they are optimistic and pessimistic in different ways. So one way to see it is you can see clearly that the U.S. is absent in some of these. So the U.S. is absent in tragedy and mobilization, and in the world adrift. And you can see even though they have made uh, provisions for China's dominance or China's growth, sorry, uh, China is never the global power in any of these scenarios. So it's not a global power in Renaissance of Democracies, 
it's not a global power in the world adrift, even though it might be one of them. Um, it's a kind of um, on the same level as the US in competitive coexistence and also in separate silos. And I guess China plays a more prominent role in tragedy and mobilization, but that, that was in partnership with the EU. So a version of the world where China is uh, the kind of the dominant hyperpower in the sense of the US was in the 1990s to the 2010s, maybe. Uh, that never happens in any situation. So I think this kind of begs the question of how do Chinese leadership view themselves? Uh, how, how do they view China and how they can act in the international stage? So for instance, I'm just thinking about, uh, for, for example, the American summit, uh, the American hosted summit on climate change where uh, the American president invited 40 over leaders from across the world. Um, for me, it was, it, was, it was telling about what kinds of uh, the competing power that the U.S. had. China also has a latent uh, combining power and it used that to organize the Belt and Road Initiative related events. Um, but I, it's very hard for me to see how China uses the competing role in a more productive way to supply public goods and not just its uh, extension of its uh, own national goods. So in the sense of the Belt and Road Initiative is, I can't tell whether is it a national, is it a, a, a national plus project where it uses its national power to provide regional goods across the world, or is it a pure public, or really is it a public good exercise uh, where it uh, invests in infrastructure and all that. So, uh, of course, in the real world, it's much more complex. It's a mix of both. But here, the what the U.S. is trying to do with the climate conference, convening a climate conference, a climate summit, is quite different from um, <clears throat> how China might be doing it, for instance. So, uh, okay, I don't want to go into too much as well, because the American summit on climate has not happened yet. The American hosted climate event has not happened yet. So we don't know what the outcomes would be, but um, but here we see the different styles of uh, what global leadership might look like in very different ways. <clears throat> so uh, that, this, this to me is a, is a very nice report and you should go download it. Um, and you, I think you just type Global Trends 2040, a world contested, and you should be able to find it. Um, what other things? So, the other thing I want to highlight is that this report is also very attractive to read because of the extensive use of infographics and diagrams. This is uh, something that uh, has appeared before in previous formats, but um, the rendering of the various concepts together is really a lesson for me as well in terms of how different trends will come together. Okay, so some of these infographics are really just uh, illustrative listings, right? So uh, it's a bunch of lists of input and output and uh, various labels attached to those things. But there are some really nice diagrams as well. Um, so they kind of give you a, a systemic causal flow to how trends might interact with each other and uh, what the outcomes would be. So I'm looking at um, how they look at this thing called emerging dynamics for within societies. And so they have a bunch of things. They look at insecurity and uncertainty, uh, how that feeds into identities and tensions, and that kind of results in societal fragmentation. So that's a, it, it, I mean, looking at it, you know, from, from looking at it now, you know, it, it makes sense. So that's on page 69 of the report. So if you want to go there. So... I mean, on one hand, 
it might seem obvious, but it's a really nice way also to kind of illustrate how things come together. So that that is a that I thought was a very good illustration of the of the kinds of uh, of the uh, of a concept diagram of how emerging dynamics are coming together at the societal level. And similarly, they have one also for at, uh, for the national governance level. So um, in a more contested era, uh, when it's more uncertain with larger climate change impacts with uncertain technological impacts and social uh, all kinds of social dynamics involved so it's really hard to see how governance can respond to the different kinds of competing challenges so you get a different diagram as well kind of similar to the first one for society but on page 79 you get to see the crucial things that govern that governments need to do uh, to realize or to reduce the uncertainties uh, for their people so they have a diagram, I think, for the international environment. So that's uh, that's uh, slightly different. That that diagram on page ninety one is slightly different. It's got it's a more sources of power diagram. So it's about uh, what the global order will look like, whether it'll be volatile or what kind of conflicts that might result. And it comes from uh, countries welding different sources of power, um, and then the different actors that are involved, national actors involved. So you've got the US-China polarity, you've got regional powers, you've got EU, India, Russia, the big regional players. Uh, I would include Japan as well. Um, and maybe for Southeast Asia, it might be a stretch, but you could consider Indonesia as well with its uh, own ideas about what it could do. So, um, so that diagram on page 91 tries to put together the, these different factors that are in play, the sources of power and the changing constellation of actors. And how that uh, culminates in the different institutions, both multilateral and uh, the formal alliances, and how that could result in a, a more complex uh, environment. So these diagrams, I think, are are a huge distinguishing factor from previous uh, from previous global trends. Not that I can recall, um, but yeah, global trends are really really nice. Uh, very nice. Uh, Kind of a summary of of what um, of what to look out for in the next few years. Yep. Of course, there are a lot more topics to cover. Uh, you got uh, you got issues of artificial intelligence, new biological technologies, new sources of social tensions, digital becoming a much more powerful factor in global governance and even in interstate conflicts. So. Yeah, they've got very, very, very nice illustrative diagrams as well. And I would, uh, if you don't have time to read the full report, just quickly look through the charts. They will give you very good guides on what the rest of the reports are, and uh, read the scenarios. Right, the scenarios are uh, are very good as usual. Even though they are more narrative, they are more, how to say, they are more descriptive now, whereas in the past. <laughs> so, I'm I'm just thinking back about. Reminiscing about the two thousand four uh, scenarios, I've been blown away, and I can still remember them because they're so fascinating to read that I keep wanting to go back there and be inspired. So, the two thousand four had uh, really imaginative ways of presenting the information. Well, not really imaginative, but very evocative ways of presenting the information. So they had things like um, uh, uh, a letter, a letter about the the WEF being permanently relocated to China, for instance, in Shanghai. Um, talking about the global economic movement from west to east, 
and then you have um, a, a page, a page in the diary of uh, of was it the American president or uh, who was uh, who was presented as a female figure at the time, and a female secretary uh, general of the UN again. So it was a diary entry of one of them talking about how. Uh, or is it in 2025? I, I can't exactly remember, but this was about how um, climate change happened, uh, a hurricane happened in New York, right, at, right about the time of the General Assembly, and how it was um, quite powerful to see politicians having to be airlifted from, uh, from a, to an American aircrew carrier and such. So th that was really fun. And then you had a series of uh, text messages between arms smugglers uh, talking about moving illicit goods across the world and uh, what American security initiatives were there to kind of prevent these things from happening. And then, oh, I, and, and this is possibly my favorite way of, uh, of my favorite scenario product, only because it was not only is it so evocative, but also um, kind of blends into reality as well. It's about um, a fictional grandson of Osama bin Laden writing about a new caliphate. So this was back in 2004, where, where Al-Qaeda was still quite strong and still influential. And uh, of course, the, 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 the Al-Qaeda branch in Iraq had, had, hadn't even matured yet. So, and then talking about how Al-Qaeda might be superseded by uh, a new caliphate, by a new terrorist organization. Um, so that, that, was, that, was, that was again written in, that was again written in 2004 and um, and of course, tragically, we know a few years later that someone did eventually claim the caliphate, uh, um, and the, and it caused a lot of havoc. But uh, looking back now, we also see how terrorist movements wax and wanes as uh, security initiatives intensify, uh, and as countries cooperate with each other across uh, different regions to uh, combat terror. So there's that. That to me is the reason why we do scenarios, right? That sometimes you write such evocative things that, um, sorry, that's not one of the reasons why we write, but it's such a powerful reminder of uh, how a lot of these things from back from the two thousand four report in Global Trends have turned out to be uh, have have realized in in various ways. So we have, um, of course, the economic power influence moving to the east. Uh, we do have WEF events happening in China, but now they are uh, for kind of foregrounded and against a backdrop of more global WEF events across the emerging world. So that's one. Um, although although a hurricane did not impact the UN UN headquarters in the timing of the General Assembly, there was Hurricane Sandy that kind of brought to mind the impact of climate and changing weather patterns. Uh, for even for especially for urbanized coastal cities, and of course uh, the caliphate and the and the and the disruptions of illicit networks. So those things have come to pass in some ways. Um, so, uh, but unfortunately, of course, uh, scenarios like I said before is only the um, like I like, and I will say that scenarios is only the the start of the end of the beginning, right? The end of the beginning in terms of helping people to prepare. So if these scenarios fall on deaf ears, um, that's that's really unfortunate. But there is a lot to plan for uh, as we head towards in a certain world. Right, so that's my that's the reason for this podcast. It's really fun to 
take a look at the Global Trends 2040 report. Um, I hope you also read the whole series as well. That I think the the, the in the format that we are, that we I know today that starts from about two thousand four. So you could go back, but then, uh, then you might also find the 1995 or earlier reports. I think 1995 is the earliest, or 20, 1995, yeah. So um, as usual, uh, this, is, this, is, this has been really fun doing this bonus episode, and you can find the rest of it in this series, and where I talk to what scenario planning is and the basics of how to do it. And also, as usual, uh, you can contribute at patreon.com slash open source futures that's open source futures one word and op source futures uh, at buy me a coffee so buy me a coffee slash op source futures thanks and i'll see you around